The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. That is, there's something about that name. Is that a Gaither song, by the way? Is that an old Gaither song? Are the Gaithers still around? Those of you who've been around Church Life, Gaithers, are they still touring? I think so, yeah. Some of you who don't know who the Gaithers are, look them up. They're good. They wrote a lot of our hymns, by the way, a lot of our more contemporary modern hymns. They're very, very good at what they do. Well, I invite your attention this morning to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. We'll be looking at Jesus' amazing authority this morning. And as you're turning, as I often do, I just want to take a moment to say some thanks to some folks. I told him I would try to embarrass him, but apparently that doesn't work. Uh, Nelson, thank you so much for your work the last couple weeks with the youth as uh, Matt and Rachel have been uh, uh, dealing with some things on the home front. And and Luke, Burton, wherever you are, you young 20-year-old man, and you are young, 20 years old. Man, what? 20 years old. Brother, thanks for filling in last Tuesday night with the youth. Gilbert, thank you for your help. Thank you for your prayers and love on the Andrews family this last week, especially, and on the centers. Um, If you're not on our email list, please know you can join that, and that gets a lot. Or find someone who is. You say, I don't do email. Find someone who is. They'll get you all that information. But church, super proud of us not to lift ourselves up. But thank you for being the body of Christ this week. And uh, from a senior pastor perspective, it's probably been one of the hardest pastoral weeks we've had on multiple fronts. So thank you so much for all you who have ministered in ways seen and unseen and taken uh, the time to do that. Well, we are talking about today Jesus's amazing authority. And I think it goes without saying that words have power. Words have a lot of power. And sometimes signs that you see have lots of power as well. So I'm going to list for you various places of business that I found on the internet that had some pretty catchy signs. And I want you to, t- I want you to listen to the words that they have to say. Uh, I know there's a lot of dog lovers in here. Go cats, by the way. No dogs, but go cats. Uh, or fish, or goldfish, or hermit crabs. But in a veterinary's waiting room, the sign said, be back in five minutes. Sit down, stay, and you'll get a treat. Just like that. Or at the computer store, they were out for a quick bite, B-Y-T-E, and uh, all the geeky people in the room are laughing at that one. So, Or the plumber uh, had a sign on his, the back of his van that said, we repair what your husband fixed. So uh, <laughs> think about that one. Or, and we do not believe psychics have any power, but on the psychic hotline, the advertisement said, don't call us, we'll call you. So it is what it is. And Judy, I thought about you, sister, about this one. On the receptionist's desk, we shoot every third salesman, and the second one just left. So (laughs) I thought like that one. Or the secondhand store ad, and some of you are going to really try this one out. It says, we exchange, or the thrift store said, we exchange anything. Why not bring your husband along, and we'll get a wonderful bargain. So uh, (laughs) sorry, I didn't go. uh, Sorry, husbands. I had to hit us hard after that one. But You know, words have power, don't they? And sometimes when you see words, they really arrest your attention because they are telling you something that you should or shouldn't do or laugh at things that you should or should not do. Words have power. They do. We do not believe that you can speak your own existence, as the TV preachers say. That's heresy, uh, if I can call it as such. But one thing that we do believe is that God's word has power. Amen? 
And it does. And when we listen, we hear it. But several people in our world don't always live by those words. Some people live by reason. They say, I live in the way because I think that way. My words determine that. Or some live by experience. They live in the way because I feel that way. Well, that's scary because I feel like pizza all the time, but I don't want to end up in the hospital every day either. Some live in tradition. I live the way I live or I say what I say because I have always done it. What? That way. But the Bible tells us as Christians, we are to live by words of a different stripe. We are to live in a way because God says so. Go figure. God says so. You don't need to put up a sign for that. If you remember a few years ago, there were bulletin boards or uh, uh, billboards up that had a little uh, writing and it said, Dash God. Do you remember those, uh, some of you all up? But friends, we don't have to because we have authority and it's revelation. And we understand that the revelation is what theologians call a special revelation. We have the written word and the living word. And trust me, sometimes it's funny and sometimes, or most of the time, it's super serious. But if you were in Sunday school today, I don't know how far you got, but if you were in Sunday school today, you know it's really, really serious. Your tinting pegs are going to have a whole different meaning after Sunday school lesson. And if you have no idea what that is, look up Judges 4. It'll tell you. But we believe that the written word is called the Bible. And the living word, the living word is Jesus, his son. And so, friends, what a great reminder from Psalm 19 that Adam's going to put up there for you. Psalm 19, verse 7, which says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Because as American evangelicals, we often think that our words, our experience, our tradition, our reason is our authority. Yet we stand tallest when we kneel lowest before God and his words as they are written in the Bible. We don't set an authority over Scripture. Scripture sets an authority over us. And we're going to see that today. Because Jesus is going to shoot off some words, some teaching that are going to, excuse me, make those signs uh, that we just heard about something very, very small in comparison. His authority is going to be questioned, and his authority is going to be amazed at. And these are words that Jesus spoke because words have power. You say, Darren, that's all great, but how does that apply to my family, my, my life, or church? Well, we'll get there. But friends, I want to remind you today with the big idea that it is this. Jesus arrived to take place and to place us under his authority. And his authority is the only authority that releases us from the bondage or slavery to sin and openly calls us to the family of grace. Aren't you grateful that you are under the greatest authority that the world has ever known and will ever know? And his name is Jesus. Friends, you live under authority, but the one who is your authority is supremely plentiful in grace. And I am grateful for that. You were created to live a Godward life, so anything else that's not under that authority goes against his authority. And we don't like that, do we? We don't like to be, we're Americans, Darren, come on. You know we don't like authority. Those lights turn on and you, you're driving down the road, you know you're tempted to say, I want to see if I can end up on the episode of Cops. You know that's true. But because you obey authority, you pull over and you, you get the ticket or not, or get the warning, whatever it is. Or you smile big and say, hi, officer, or however it works. But friends, you are under authority all the time. You're under authority at home. You're under authority at your office. You're under authority uh, by the law. But as a Christian, your greatest authority is God himself and what his word says. So two things today. Why follow this amazing authority, Jesus? Why is he worthy to be followed? Two words. Because he, he has amazing truths and because he has amazing power. And that's what we're going to look at today. If you were able to stand this morning, if you will, in honor of God's word, join me in standing and reading Mark chapter 1, verses 1 
uh, verses 21 rather, through 28. Mark 1, 21 through 28. If you're visiting with us, we often say this, but if you forgot your Bible, you need a Bible. The blue pew Bible in front of you is is yours to keep. It's on page 834 of the uh, blue pew Bible. And God's word says this morning, and they, that's the disciples and Jesus went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And verse 23, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And verse 28, And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. We do not serve a God who is under another God or a demigod or something like that. Folks, be reminded today, whatever you're facing, you serve the God who has absolute authority over every atom, over every molecule, over every star, over everything that happens in this world. And that is a God we serve. Let's pray as we go before him this morning. Father, thank you for your authority. Thank you that you have come to place us under your authority. Father, whether we acknowledge that or not, we will someday all stand before you because at the name of Jesus, this authoritative name, every knee shall bow, whether in the earth or under the earth, and and to your praise, Lord, they will bow and acknowledge you as Lord. Yet, Father, as we have breath this morning, I pray that you would work among us to remind us of your authority, not one that is domineering to the point of being a dictator, but Father, as sovereign, gracious Lord that you are, planning all things and executing all things, yet reaching the olive branch out through the death, burial, and resurrection of your Son. Father, how grateful we are that we are not saved by ourselves as we sang about, but we are all saved because your Son paid it all, and we are completely yours, no more, no less. Father, may you be blessed as we study your word together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. Well, Jesus' amazing authority, and and why follow this authority? And I just want to remind you, we'll look at two truths this morning as we go through God's word together. The first is because Jesus has amazing truths, and that is plural, amazing truths. And if you look back at verse 21 there, uh, it says, And they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Just want to take a moment and give you a little history update on Capernaum. Capernaum was a fishing village that was becoming a base of operations, kind of the HQ, if you will, of where Jesus was heading out. It was located on the north side or north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee, uh, how many of you all, I know, uh, Lauren, I know, Maisel, I think you all have been, how many of you all have seen the Sea of Galilee? I have not, but how many of you have seen the Sea of Galilee? Patricia, if she were here, I know, would be, been to Israel before. Uh, You know, it also goes by other names, Sea of Tiberias, uh, it's also called Lake Kinnereth, which means harp. The, 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 it's shaped like a harp is the best way to say it. It's 13 miles long and 700 feet below sea level. That is an amazing place. It's beautiful. And the city of Capernaum, where Jesus starts teaching these amazing truths, was a significant port. It was a, it was a melting pot city. It was kind of like New York City is. They had Jews, Gentiles, Roman soldiers, and officials. And it was well situated for things to kick in action for Jesus in his gospel that we looked at last week. And so it says right there, it says, on the Sabbath. 
And if you were here in the fall, you know we studied through the Ten Commandments, and we looked at, uh, actually, Dr. Johnston did a, in, back in October through the Sabbath and what that means. And just as a refresher to you, friends, the Sabbath day is the day, as Christians especially, we believe that is the day that Jesus was resurrected. That is the day Jesus came back from the dead. In Jesus' day, it was the Jewish day of worship. It began at sundown on Friday and extended to the same on Saturday. If you have been in uh, predominantly Jew- Orthodox Jewish communities, and, and Nelson, I know you've seen this, especially in your recent times, you will see that m- all businesses shut down during that time. I can recall being in Passaic, New Jersey, several years ago with Pleasant Valley on a mission trip, uh, Baptist Church, and we went up to Passaic, and on Friday night, uh, the area they were in was predominantly Jewish. I mean, it just shut down. Everything was, because they took the Sabbath that seriously. And so when Jesus, it says he entered the synagogue, and he began to teach What is a synagogue? A synagogue is like a local church. It's kind of like we have right here. It was where the scriptures were taught and the law, the Torah, was read as well. And there was only one big temple. There was the mothership, if you will. If you're a sci-fi fan, there was the mothership in Jerusalem. But synagogues could be scattered all throughout the ancient world as long as there were at least 10 Jewish males 13 years or older. And so that's where they would go for worship, for education. That was where you met. Why is this important? Because I want to remind you last week about what Jesus taught. Look back down at verse 14 and 15 in Mark chapter 1. What was Jesus teaching that caused so much of a ruckus? Well, it's what we looked at last week. It says in verse 14, Now John was arrested. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Mark tells us nothing specifically about what Jesus taught, but in the context, you can bet it was the offensive message of the gospel. Repent and believe. And his concern was not, Mark's concern was not about what was being taught, but who was being taught. Friends, this is a great reminder, as Adam's going to put up on the screen for you, the first application point I have for you is this. When you hide certain things about Jesus and his teaching, in order to attract people to him. It's not Jesus you're attracting them to, but whatever else you're teaching. Jesus comes here, and he doesn't come up and say, hey, do you want me to see raise someone from the dead? Oh, oh, you're dead. Oh, you're coming back. It wasn't a sideshow for Jesus. He didn't come back and say, oh, I'm going I'm to 50 cents, I'll read your mind. I mean, he didn't do any of that silly stuff. He taught about the kingdom of God. He taught about who he was. He taught about why he came. He shared the message that was so different from everything else that had been taught before. Jesus' teaching consistently attracted the irreligious and consistently offended the Bible-believing or law-believing people of the day. Is that not true of our time today? Do you know, sometimes, I I recall a story of a friend recently in a small town in uh, southwest Missouri where he's a pastor, and I won't say the name of it for sake of you may know the guy, but uh, this man was the town drunk, true story. And he he came in Wednesday night service one time just bumbling in from the bar. And as as Baptists, we would be like, wow, someone came on off the, this is like out of a movie, right? And here it is. And you know, some of the church members said, sir, you don't belong here. And they shoot him away. And the pastor had to do the hard thing pastors sometimes have to do and pull him aside and beat him on the head with the rod, not literally, but figuratively. And they went out and they invited that man back in. He's come to know Christ. But one thing that often is taught is that we get so 
much in a Christian vacuum that if Jesus were to break, if we were to preach Jesus in this place, we're filled with people not like ourselves racially, ethically, socioeconomically, skin colorly, if that's a word, would our church be ready to handle that? And I, folks, I pray that we are, and I believe that we are. But never forget that Jesus' message will ruffle the feathers of the religious, but for those who are seeking it, it will always be like music to your ears. Think of Meg playing and Gilbert and all the team, heavenly, to that a million times over. And you guys do an amazing job, by the way. Jesus plus anything is false teaching. And Jesus comes saying, look, here it is. Look what they said. He starts teaching this message, and what was the reaction? Verse 22, and they were astonished at his teaching. They were astonished at his teaching because this was not like the everyday teacher that is repeating what that guy repeated, what that guy repeated, what that guy repeated, what that guy repeated. Today, we might say they were blown away. They were rested in their attention. Friends, how do you view the teachings of Jesus? Has he become, has Jesus become like a tame lion to you? To the point at which when you read through the scripture, your heart is not pricked like that last song we just sang as a confession before the Lord. Or would you pray, Lord, my heart is cold before you. I'm reading through this Bible playing, Lord, but it's just, a, it's rote. Father, help me. Stir my soul. Father, if there's any wicked way in me, stir it to a point that I see Jesus for who he is, his authority. And that's what I want you to see, secondly, as a second subpoint. His teachings were with authority. The people immediately saw a contrast between what the religious folks were doing and what Jesus had taught. Your Bible may say something to the effect of, uh, how many of y'all have in verse 22, scribes? Do you have that verse in verse 22, scribes? It's probably a, the best translation there. But he taught as one who had authority, Jesus did, not as the scribes. The scribes were called teachers of the law or lawyers, and they were skilled in the interpretation and the explaining of the law of God. And they were a celebrated group of scholars. These were the guys that were like the super smart, super religious Everyone looked up to him. They were the cream of the crop. And these were called rabbis. They, they, many were Pharisees. Many were sad, you sees. And can I give a pastoral joke for just a second, okay? The men of our prayer group this morning thought this was hilarious. Are you ready? Uh, the sad, you sees, were sad, you see, because they did not have Jesus' authority. I know. You can roll your eyes with me and blame the guys in the prayer group. But the Sanhedrin, also a part of this, was made up of mostly scribes. These were men who knew their Bibles back and forth, but when Jesus came and taught it, changed their world and changed it all upside down. Friend, what a great reminder that no amount of skill or giftedness or training or authority is a substitute for being friends with Jesus. Can I say that again? You may study your Bible till you are blue in the face. You may know everything in a uh, catchphrase or a uh, whatever other game jeopardy that comes up about Bible trivia. But unless Jesus has changed your life, unless his authority has permeated your life, you have not experienced the biblical Jesus as he has taught in Scripture. Jesus isn't escaped from life trials, but he is our closest friend through it. I love my friend Jesus because when I enter a room, when you enter a room, he doesn't say, oh, it's that guy. No, he says, oh, it's that guy. My friend Jesus, I love him because while the crowds gather with the stones on that side, he stands on the sidelines with me, ready to take the pelts with me. I love my friend Jesus because he knows everything I've ever thought and still doesn't cross the street when he sees me coming. I love my friend Jesus because he chased after me when I was away and didn't stop till I was found and tackled to the ground with the truth of God's word. We have an amazing authority, but we also have a friend. We have a brother in Jesus Christ. 
Friends, our God is so amazing that even when he taught, it changed the world. Many of you come here each Sunday. You've heard almost 100 sermons out of this pulpit since I've been here and from several other folks and you both coming up. But are you cold in your heart to what God is doing in your life? Have you become so numb to the preaching of God's word that it's just become a spectacle, a Sunday thing that you do? I pray that our church has a fleshy heart, has a sensitive heart to what God is doing. Friends, you pray that for our neighborhood tonight as we speak to many of them on Facebook and do that technological relevant thing. But friends, they were greatly admired and respected, these teachers were, but they had nothing on par with what Jesus brought to the table. Can I ask you again, is your Jesus a tame American Jesus that you bring him out when things go bad, but everything else, you put him back in the drawer and say, Jesus, have fun in that dark closet in there. Friends, he's the light of the world. Is he your tame Jesus or is he the Jesus that is there? Friends, he taught with authority. Look down at verse 27 as well. Jesus uh, says, and they, all the teachers and the people were amazed, verse 27, and they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? Yes, guys, it is. It is, it is, it is. This is why, friends, as a pastor, I do not as a pastor, professionally, I look back at my sermons, and I have good friends, some who will listen to this and critique and say, Darren, you need to slow down. You need to do this transition here. You need to get feedback here. Do this better as a speaker here. And those are all well and good. But all my pastor friends who listen to my sermons and give me honest feedback know that if we do not preach this word, friends, we're just up here talking for 35, 40 minutes. It means nothing. The Bible that we have is sufficient to take out God's word to everything. That's why we can know when we share the gospel that God can take those words and use them in ways you could never think possible. That's why I don't have to persuade, I don't have to persuade people to come to Jesus. I have to lay it out there and trust that God is sovereign enough, and he is, to take that seed and grow it as he will. If the preaching of the word fails, friends, we, let's just go home right now. These people said, a new teaching? No, it wasn't a new teaching. They just missed the original intent of what God had. Friends, the one who brings the teaching astonishes his authority with himself, and he is the Son of God. Has the God rocked your world here today? If you're not a Christian, we're so glad you're here. But who is Jesus to you? Is he just another person to listen to? Is he just another religion to check off your list? Or is he the authority in your life? You know, I told you words have power, and I want to share this story with you. I love these stock photos that, uh, that you see up here, because doesn't it just look great? I mean, look at these people up here. They're smiling. This is what you look like after dinner and working all day. Amen? God is good. I mean, the husband's doing all the work, and the lady's just standing there. I mean, isn't that how it always works out? Love stock photos. But this is a true story that came out just a few weeks ago from Laura Dreschen. She shared about this story in a newspaper. She was determined to lose some weight, and in the last week she wrote this reflection on a blog. And in frustration, she explained to her husband, it's just not working. I'm not losing the weight I want to lose. And so she was actually gaining weight, which that's not what you want to do if you're losing. And his, her husband had never once hinted any interest in dieting, but he offered us some advice, and she got uh, her attention was, was arrested. And he said, why don't you just do what I do, honey? And, you know, as a wife, you would feel very encouraged. My husband is interested in helping me lose weight and all these things. And she said, what do you do? And as a husband can only say, he said in all seriousness, I just buy bigger pants, honey. And that was it. 
<laughs> Husbands, don't try that. <laughs> don't try that at home. Don't do that. But, you know, sometimes amazing and not-so-funny truths come in ways we don't expect them. But here is something that never changes. God's Word never changes. You go to Jesus, He's going to give you the same advice over and over. Why? Because He's the authority. My friend, Jesus is a storm-hushing, tomb-crushing, dragon-crushing brother. And I love him because he's never left me once, even as an authority. And he'll never leave me, even when I am leavable. Friends, I love my friend Jesus, who is my authority, because I can just be myself with him and his word. And I don't have to put on a facade or a show like the Pharisees did. And I love my friend Jesus most of all because he took my death, even though he had plenty of time to think it over, and every reason to say, no, you deserve everything that you should get. What a great God we have. And this teaching swept through the early world, and they got to a point where they said, we don't want this anymore. Get out of here. But Jesus shows something else about why he's the authority. Look at the second thing here. And the second point and the last point, believe it or not, Ripley would be amazed. Here's what you need to know. Friends, Jesus not only has amazing truths that rock your world, and they should, he also has amazing power. Look back at verse 23, and I'll read this with you. It says, and immediately, and again, that phrase immediately, we've said it again, that is, that is the sprint that Mark has as his favorite word among many of this gospel. And immediately there was an in their synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit. Is it not true that when God is at work, Satan immediately follows quickly behind? Is that not true? God had just used this amazing passage, Jesus did, being fully God and fully man. And right before that, uh, right after that, right on the heels of that, here comes Satan with everything that he is. And this introduces us to a situation that requires some attention. I hope to burst some evangelical bubbles with this because uh, Hollywood does not have a thing on what the Bible says about demons. I just want you to know. The man with an unclean spirit. Uh, this word demon is used 63 times in the New Testament. But that's the question. What is a demon? Who are demons? What do they do? Are they, are they as some believe, the spirits of a pre-Adam race that's walking around the earth? Are they spirits of evil men? Are they Raiders fans? Are they, what are they? I don't know. Are they products, as some believe, of angels cohabitating with women in Genesis 6 to make the Nephilim look? Or are they fallen angels? That is your best option. All those others are just uh, speculation at best. Mark calls them unclean spirits 11 times, and he uses the word demon 13 times. But what are demons? What about them? Where do they come from? Who are they? Well, it's possible Revelation 12, 4 says that a third of the angels fell with Satan when he rebelled uh, before uh, the time was made. Uh, we know from Mark that some are free to roam. We know from Revelation 9 that some are free to roam during the tribulation period. You say, Darren, how, when's that going to happen? Well, good question. Jesus said he, he knows the day and the hour. He, some are confined now to never roam again, according to Jude verse 6. They are powerful, demons are, but they are not omnipotent. They do not have all power. Only God does. Demons' activity increased during the time of Christ and also, again, coming in the end times. You look at Revelation 6 through chapter 19. Demons are set up under Satan's control, Ephesians 6, 11, and 12, probably in rank, but possibly in geography, according to Daniel 10. Here's what demons do. They have authority and can promote disunity false doctrine, inflict disease, cause mental difficulties, and hinder Christian growth. And this is the key phrase I want you to get. Demons can oppress but not possess believers. 
no matter if you've seen the 1970s movie, and uh, I can't even think of the name of it, the, the, the Exorcist or whatever it was, friends, demons cannot possess Christians. Can I say that plainly? Demons cannot possess Christians. How can someone or something who is not the authority, and God is the authority, overtake the authority? That does, it never works that way. So do de- are demons still alive today? Absolutely. Yes. If you have not read this book, it is not scripture, and C.S. Lewis has some questionable theology from here to there, but overall, it is a good read. The Screw Tape Letters. Has anyone ever read that book before? Many hands go up. It's about one demon writing to another demon. It's all fiction, but the principles are the same. And it's basically a classic literary take about how Satan so subtly, so easily, through his minions, demons, and himself, can take Christians and make them less effective by everyday means. So here's a demon-possessed man in all places of house of worship. Who would have ever thought of that? Don't miss the significance of this. I want you to see what these demons say. Look what they say, friends. Satan is always at work when God is at working by his permission, according to Job. But here's what they say. They immediately say, verse 24, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. The demons recognize Jesus in his humanity as being a man, but also in his deity as being fully God. The us here may refer to multiple demons in the man or the demonic realm as a whole, but it does not threaten Jesus's authority. Did you hear what he said? He said, have you come to destroy us? Friends, our Savior can crush Satan and will someday underneath his feet They understand in this moment what the religious people did not understand. These demons get that this Jesus isn't just some charismatic teacher from out in the sticks. He's coming as one who is the ultimate authority. And he is the Holy One of God. This is a recognition that God is only God in Jesus Christ. Adam's going to put up the first application point with you. And for many of you, this may not apply, but it's a great reminder this morning. Simply believing God exists qualifies you to be a demon. Say, what? Yes. You believe in one God, James 2.19 says, good. Even the demons believe and shudder. If you are here today and you say, great, I, you know, I believe God exists. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's, that's, that's just right on. That's, re- that's wretched, Darren. Use the East Coast term. That's wretched, man. It's good. But do you know the authority, Jesus, who takes you to God? God so created the world perfectly, and he set up fellowship, but man broke that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we have nothing good in us. We can't save ourselves. But one thing we have in common with demons is that we all acknowledge there is a God. That's why God does not recognize atheists. If you're an atheist here today, you are believing your own delusion because that is exactly what it is. God has said time and time again there's enough evidence in creation and especially in this authority, God's special revelation, the Bible, to know there is a God. But if you're here today, there's nothing good that you can do to get to heaven. But Jesus died on the cross. He lived the life you couldn't live. He died the death you couldn't die. And on that cross, he took the wrath of God that you deserve, that I deserve for our sin. And before that, he tells you to make a response. Are you for me or are you for your own sin. Friends, our God is an awesome God. That's why be very, very careful to be specific about what we believe as Christians. 
It is easy, isn't it, on a campaign trail, at a meeting of local whatevers, when people get together to say, do you believe in God? Yes. Great. Even the demons believe in God and shudder. Be specific. What God do you believe in? Do you believe in the God of the Muslims? Do you believe in the many gods of Hinduism? Do you believe, friends, we believe in a specific road, don't we? That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And demons shudder at that name. So the question comes up, and someone asked me this this week in preparation. Darren, have you ever cast out any demons? I have not, but my Savior has. Have you ever seen a demon? No, I've never seen a demon, but I've seen some people who've acted pretty strange in Westport. In 10 years of Westport ministry, more than just drunkenness, seen some weird things down there, trust me. John Moody, you've been on the mission field, Luke, in that row. You guys have seen some things out there that are just not normal. Does that mean everyone is demon-possessed? No, but it does mean that Satan is alive and well. And friends, our Savior is the demon-busting Savior. And you don't even need to call Ghostbusters for that, all right? And this, the newest remake is a, is a slash to the old classics, just as an aside. Friends, the kingdom of God goes head-to-head with the forces of evil, and there's no contest. You have a God who is in control of all things. Do not believe with respect, others that have written that you need to go out demon mapping in your neighborhood. There are people who believe this. There are people who believe you need to take almost like uh, that gadget from the uh, uh, Ghostbusters and go around like this, demon mapping the map and, and, and pray out the demons. Friends, no. You preach the gospel. You trust God is faithful. You live a holy life, and God will take care of business. Amen? You don't need to demon map, and there is an app for that out there if you really are curious about all this stuff. I don't know where all the demons are, but they're probably whatever. God is in control, guys. He's your authority. You don't need to go super weird and be like that, but acknowledge the fact that there is a realm that we do not see. We do not wage war against flesh and blood. We wage war against principalities and things unseen. But God is the authority above all that. And yes, there really is an app out there about that. and It's on Google Play, or it was uh, in preparation for this. They may have taken it down. I don't know. But one thing you need to know is that God is in control. And finally, and we'll close with this, the demons obey him. Look at verses 25 through 28. The demons obey him. It says, but Jesus rebuked them. I love that word, but. Don't you love Jesus' buts in your life? He says, this is all going on, but. This is all going on, but. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, and come out of him. And the spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. There's that amazement. And they were questioned, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Friends, our God is such a God that at this name of uh, just a speaking of something, it can happen. Matt read Psalm 115, verse 3, that our Lord is in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. Immediately, Jesus rebuked him. Basically, he said, be silent, shut up, muzzle it up, stop it, come out of him. Just a few direct words with absolute authority. There's no spell here. There's no, uh, what was that show, uh, not Bewitched, but uh, there was a show with three ladies about 15 years ago on WGN. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Tina. And uh, that's not, Jesus is not a spell caster. Jesus is not a D&D playing whatever geek in the backyard trying to make things happen. Jesus is God and he's taking care of business, okay? He says the word and they obey. Friends, God only ever gives Satan enough rope to hang himself. And Adam will put that up on the screen for you. 
God ever gives Satan enough rope to hang himself. Some Christians live in such fear, they act as if they believe in the sovereignty of Satan rather than in the sovereignty of God. Friends, you have nothing to fear. If God has seen forth to allow Satan and his minions, his thugs, his demons to test you as he did Job, count that as a blessing. Count that as shaping you to be more like Christ. Martin Luther, the, uh, who, has, who had his faults but also had a lot of good things to say, said, I often laugh at Satan, and nothing makes him so angry as when I tell him that through God I am more than his match. Friends, you don't have to worry about Satan possessing you. You don't have to worry about any of that silly stuff that you see on uh, those ghost hunting shows. They're, they're fun to watch. Don't get me wrong. I love History Channel. I love all those things. Friends, you need to trust not in Discovery Channel. That's like the fifth time I've said that this year, okay? You need to trust in the living God who can cast out everything. These demons convulsed. They cried out. They came out. Satan's not going to give up until he's all done. But the people were amazed. And Jesus is spread, verse 28, spread throughout not just Galilee, but all the surrounding regions. Friends, we do not have to be fabricating anything that God can do among us. The power that we have is in Jesus's authority. The power that we have as a church is not in what programs or whatever we do, although God works through those. The power is in faithful people of God, trusting a faithful God to carry out his purposes in this life. That is our God. I used to be in Ouija boards and all that sort of thing, and that's weird stuff. Please don't do that stuff. Before I came to Christ, when I thought I was a Christian, used to be into all that stuff. And there's a lot of weird stuff out there. Get rid of that junk, man. Get rid of the books that make you scared to go to sleep at night. I'm serious. If, St- if, if Stephen King's It still makes you afraid of clowns, then stop watching it and stop reading it, man. Go read the Bible. And I'm being serious. Some of you know that movie, and it still scares you to death. You know, we all float down here, Georgie, and all that stuff. Friends, you have a God who is above every authority in this world. You do not have to fear the government. And that doesn't mean you don't follow what is said, except when it goes against our our, our scriptures. You have a God who is above all authority. Walk in that authority. Not pig-headedly, not any way other than humbly, but trust that God is sufficient to take care of your needs. He is. He is sufficient. Church, we have, I shared with our Sunday school class that this, is, this last year we had a bumper crop year across the board, and we're, we're going to look at 2016 as God calls us here as a year that God just opened gates and saved people from angles and ways and did work in ways we never thought possible, from the youth to the music to all the things that have happened in our church. And this last six weeks that we've been here, we've had people in and out of the hospital. We've had Man, we've, had t- we've, had, we've canceled two Sundays, and that doesn't mean Satan behind every detail. My point is, is that God has opened up the testing gates, as he did Israel, to test what's in their hearts. And friend, in our hearts as a church, I pray we are not more fearful about the boogeyman Satan jumping out of every corner than we are about who God is and how we please him in our lives. I know that's your heartbeat too. But I pray that you are not scared of what Satan can do to you. You are scared, as Jesus said, fear the one who can throw your body and soul into hell more than the one who is already destined to spend in hell forever. Hope that point is clear. Your God is sufficient for you. Where are you today? Is your authority trusting in what the new government will do for us? 
and you pray for your leaders as you're commanded? Is your authority trusting in what your boss promised you as your next promotion? What if that doesn't happen? What if God says no to that and gives you something else? Will you trust him? Because this world will tell you, well, if, 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 if you don't get what you want, just go run after it. Friends, we need to bow every part of our lives to the authority of this Jesus because he's worthy of that authority. Will you bow your heads with me as we close? Father, as we come to a time of close, I, I, I thank you that there is no power of hell. There is no scheme of man. There is no whatever that can ever overtake what you have done. Father, you are the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. You are the one who came back from the dead and proved once and for all uh, by affirming your son. Father, you're the one that we read a few weeks ago that said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Father, you have done everything. You are greater than Moses. You are greater than the law. You are greater than all of our fears, our doubts, our worries, our anxieties. You're, you're greater than all the stress that may come. You're greater than every curveball that comes our way, whether that's health or, or, or finances or whatever is there. Father, you are over it all. Your teachings, your truths are amazing, and you have all power. Father, even as I pray that, I'm thinking to myself, we acknowledge that in our heads. But Father, I pray experientially we would acknowledge that in our hearts by your Spirit. Father, we lift up the many things that have happened health-wise and just, just been testing our, our thing, Lord, and we submit to you. We trust you with every outcome. We thank you that you are able and you are sufficient, and as Ephesians says, you are able beyond our imagination to do more above and beyond what we can ask or think. Father, you are good to us. I pray for anyone in here who is scared more of what Satan will do, that they would put their trust in you. Father, for those here who have uh, long since been a Christian, I pray that their trust is not in themselves or their routines or their, their, their tradition. But Father, as we come under your authority of what you say in your scriptures, help us to do it to your glory. Father, thank you for these dear people. Father, thank you for the dear Lord Jesus who gave his life for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with us as we close this morning with our last couple songs.